Amen. Thank you guys. So great to be with you today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, worship team. You guys are awesome. Appreciate you guys very much. Well, it looks like we have a full house, which is awesome. Somebody was asking me when we're going to start the other service. And so I want you to know I have um, a number of people that we're looking to have in here before we start that second service. And it's not about the numbers. It's about our space and workers. And so if you would uh, like to serve in some capacity in the church, there's lots of places we can use you. We are going to restart the uh, nursery, and this Kids XP is happening right now, and youth, and the youth are going downstairs right now with their, uh, for their own service with Pastor Josh. And just a reminder, there is a lock-in this weekend. So you parents uh, of youth, you got a free night of babysitting and a free night. And we're praying God moves and touches the heart of our youth. So please see Pastor Josh. You can get a hold of him through the, uh, the website if there's information if we don't have it. I forgot to ask you your accountability question at the beginning. I was in such a hurry to try and uh, get done and get off the platform so we could start our service. And I left off a very important thing for us to do. Did you spend at least five minutes a day, five days this week, reading or listening to God's word if you did, say yes. Did you share Jesus with someone? Good job. Did you spend some time alone with God with no agenda? All right. Do you know what the Holy Spirit's saying to you? I was a little weaker, you know. He's getting ready to talk to you if you haven't heard from him already, so get ready. Are you giving as God has asked you to give in your time, your talents, and your resources? I was a little weaker, too. All right. Last week, we looked at what God's Word says about division. How God has called us as a family, as a body, to come together. He gave us an incredible teaching and shared something with us as... Do you understand this, church, that... The, the ones that opposed Jesus more than anyone else was the, re, um, the religious leadership of the existing church of the day. Now, please understand this, because it's important that we understand that the church itself that was established in Jerusalem, God's church, was the one that God himself established through Moses. So we're not talking about some pagan faith or some cult somewhere. We are talking about the church that was functioning according to God's Old Testament law. So when we understand that, that that's where the conflict came. The conflict came because Jesus spoke to them about what God actually meant in the law and how that translated into their lives. And they didn't like it because they had programmed people to do what they wanted. And they were there to serve not only the purposes that they saw for them to serve in God, but the leadership themselves. So, when we come into this today, I want you to know that not all of us, actually probably none of us, have been taught exactly the right things about God, relationship with God, Jesus Christ, and the Bible. We've been screwed up somehow by people. One amen, that's all I'm looking for. I mean, you can say amen about the people around you. You don't have to personalize it if you don't want to. I'm just telling you that we, you don't have it right, and neither do I. We're walking in that way, and the thing we do know that we have right is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit himself has affirmed that relationship with God when we repented and received him as our Savior. Amen? 
So we have that right. I'm not denying that at all. That's very clear to see in the Bible. It's a call for you and I, and it's something that we have to own personally. God promised us in his word, Jesus said it would happen, that the Holy Spirit would come in the hearts of believers, and the Holy Spirit himself would affirm that we're a child of God. No church can do that. No pastor can do that. No water can do that. Only God can do that. Therefore, when we know we're a child of God, from that point on, we're growing and learning what it means to have a relationship with him. So everybody listening right now, including Dave, the one that's speaking, is learning what it means to have a relationship with God all the time. And what God is trying to do often in the church is to correct problems in the church. (laughs) Because the world doesn't have a chance if we don't start getting it right. Because we are Christ's ambassadors. And so when Jesus addresses this issue of division... He speaks to the people and challenges them and lets them understand something. I'll read these verses to you again that we read last week. Then the demon-possessed man was blind and couldn't speak, was brought to Jesus. He healed the man so that he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed and asked, could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? Okay, just before I read anything else, I want you to know they got that part right. The church had been teaching that part right. The Messiah would come as a son of David. They knew who they were looking for. Let's keep reading. But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, who are the Pharisees? Those are the leaders of the church. No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. It's funny how we in the church... We in the church, I'm not talking about just pastors now, but I'm talking about we in the church are so quick to condemn other people and cast judgment upon them when we're the ones that are being challenged by God about our own lives. Look at what God's Word says. No wonder He can cast out demons. He gets His power from Satan, the prince of demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, Any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. So Jesus lets us know. He's saying, look, guys, if there's division of any kind, whatever that division comes into is done for. It's going to collapse. Any nation, any city, any family, any relationship, it's going to fall. This is Jesus letting us know this. So the enemy, we know he wants division. And he's working at division at all times. Okay. So let's look in Philippians chapter 1 for a moment. We're going to stay here for a second and see what God's saying to us as the church. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. So when I'm reading this verse, the reason we're going here is we want to focus on us. Me. You need to focus on you. I need to focus on me. Because when the Word of God says this, it says this. I need to focus on how I conduct myself as a child of God, as a citizen of heaven. Everything starts with me first in accessing my choices and assessing my choices, I should say, conduct, my relationships, everything. Everything I do and am starts with me. We're always blaming everybody else for what's wrong with us. It starts with me, and I've got to conduct myself as a citizen of heaven. First and foremost, above everything else, church, that means if you're in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, 
You no longer belong to this earth. You belong to heaven, the kingdom of God. That's who you belong to. So we start by conducting ourselves as the citizenship of heaven. That's God's word. In a manner that's worthy of the good news about Christ. So here's another accountability question we just ask right now. Have you lived worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ this week? Don't answer that out loud. That's our call. Okay? So it starts with how I conduct myself. Division is when I focus on what they're doing. Conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. So here's what happens throughout the years. I want everybody to know I'm not a counselor, okay? All right. I've taken pastoral counseling classes. I understand what it means, that relationship. I believe that you can find help for your problems through counseling, and I believe it's Jesus that has that answer. But I want to just share something with you, because throughout the years, couples come to me about their problems. And so for the first time that I meet with any couple, I meet with them together. And I tell them that you have five minutes to state what you want to say, and the other person can't interrupt. Five minutes, go. Let them talk. Then I go to the other one. You have five minutes, go. Now, after those five minutes are up, we're going to stop. I want to help everybody here. Because the entire five minutes, each of them is talking about the other. Every time. Nobody's come into my office and said, I just want to confess to you, I'm the problem. And if I get my act together, our relationship would be amazing. (laughs) Nobody's done that. It's always because we're focused on what's wrong with them. So I'm giving you a a little practice that I do with every couple that comes in. For the next week, you need to compliment your spouse three times every day. They can't be the same and they can't be in response to what they're saying to you. So this is free counseling. I just want this is session one, so now I don't have to meet with you. All right. So so here's the thing. Like, uh, this is what I tell them jokingly, but you'll understand this. I tell the guys, pretty soon you're going to run out of body parts. So you're going to have to start thinking about your compliments. For real. Because it's pretty easy for the first week. You can just say, I like this about you. I love you. I like this about you. But pretty soon when the body's completely covered, you can't go back through it again. Now I got to start looking deeper than the physical attraction I have for that person. So as we start to give three compliments and we can't respond like, hey, you look great in that shirt. Oh, you look great in your shirt. Cha-ching. No, it doesn't work that way. See, what I'm trying to say is what happens when we're in relationship, and this isn't just in marriage, it's in relationship as a whole. It happens in churches. We start to see issues in other people. We start to see things we don't like about how the church operates. Who's in charge of what? Who leads what? Who's where and why not? And then I start saying, why, why not me in this or that? And pretty soon you see that division begins. So look, I, I'm just letting you know. I want you to hear me because I love you and God loves you. But we have a revolving door of Christians in Tucson. I want you to be wherever God wants you and you should be wherever God wants you. Not the church you like the best or serves you the best but where God has said, this is where you belong. 
Okay, so now that that's clear, we have a revolving door of people jumping from church to church, and what happens is they stay with the church until they see something they don't like. I'm not talking about preaching the gospel. Okay, if a church isn't preaching the gospel, by all means, leave. Everybody should leave, and you should tell everybody else to get out of there too, but don't make it your mission. Okay, but go ahead and leave. But the enemy is trying to give us glasses to see what they are doing wrong because what he doesn't want us doing is conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ and looking and living like citizens of heaven. He wants us to do anything other than that. And so as a couple, if you start to begin to compliment one another and you do that back and forth, pretty soon your entire attitude changes about them. Because you're no longer focused on what's wrong with them. You're beginning to see what's right with them. Follow me? Okay, come on. All right. Let's continue reading in Philippians there because we're not done. That's just a little introduction. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. That's down in that same verse. Never even finished that verse, so just so you know. So here we go. We're standing together in one spirit. We have one purpose. He didn't say fighting together. That's not what he said. You need to make sure you read that with the right punctuation. He said fighting together for the faith. The church has got the fighting together part down good. But fighting together for the faith is something that he's actually called us to do. The good news, salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Fight for that. That should be our focus because we're citizens of heaven. The only way other citizens will become citizens is by receiving Jesus Christ. Therefore, we should have one purpose, one spirit, one heart. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what we should all be all about. Nothing else. Verse 28, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. The church needs to stand up, man. We're acting like a bunch of wimps. We're like just standing back and melting like, well, it's going to get worse. So we might as well just fade off into the sunset and let things happen. No, he's calling the church. This is a persecuted church. Paul is writing from prison for his faith right here. This letter was written from prison. He was in prison because of the good news. He's not saying like, hey, back down. He's saying, don't be intimidated by them. They got a big mouth. You remember Goliath? David and Goliath, he's out there yelling his junk. And David, just a little boy, says, who does he think he is? He's talking to my God like that. And he went out and took him down. Everybody else was intimidated by the big mouth. David knew who he served. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that you are going, wait a minute, that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We're in this struggle together. You see that unity? The Apostle Paul is alone in a prison cell. And he's writing to the church. And he's like, we're all in this together, you know. 
We don't need to be intimidated. Stand your ground. Be strong in your faith. Proclaim the truth of who Jesus is. So we don't have to back down and be wimps in anything. doesn't mean we're overbearing, but we need to be warriors of the kingdom and be strong in our faith in who we are and why we stand where we stand. Church, we should be confident in our stance. The way that you're confident is your stance is to know what you believe, to know who you serve, to know who you belong to. And it doesn't shift by everybody else's opinion. God himself has written our, our names. My name is recorded in heaven. Do you know that? Your name is written there. If you know Jesus, he wrote your name down. That's amazing. I say this wholly and reverently. Screw them. Seriously. Who are they to say I'm not who God says I am? All right. Sorry if that offended you, but... It's the way it is. So we see it in the action of the apostles as they are arrested and questioned for healing a crippled man in Acts 4. So before I read this, we've got to remember that this is the same group of guys that ran away from Jesus when he was arrested. The same guy that denied Jesus when he was questioned by a little slave girl. When we read in Acts 4, remember what sets this up is Peter and John were going to the temple for prayer time, healed this guy, and he goes running into the temple, praising God. Uh, the courts, I should say, not in the temple, but he ran into the courtyard, and everybody's gathered around like, I just passed that dude begging on the, that's him. God did an amazing miracle. So they arrest the apostles, these church leaders again, right? So, so they don't like what's going on. So let's see what happens. The member of the council, this is verse 13, were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. Man, let that sink in there. Just listen to that. He's, he's like, these are just like average blue-collar dudes, and they're lecturing us on God's word. If you read the stuff prior to this, he's just laying it out for him. Peter himself, remember the denier, of Jesus to the little slave girl. He's standing now in front of the same council that had Jesus crucified, knowing that they could have him killed also. But he's speaking boldly as he stands there, proclaiming that they were the murderers of the Messiah. And they're like blown away by the boldness of these guys. You remember what we just read in Philippians? Where the word of God tells us, don't be intimidated by them. They sit in their high seats of judgment in their royal robes. And you feel like you're insignificant and small because they're all the intelligent, lifted up people. He's like, don't be intimidated. Speak with boldness the word of God, the good news of the gospel. So here they are doing it. They also recognize them as men who had been with Jesus. <laughs> Man, let that be so of us, God. Please let that be so. Let every member of Christian Faith Fellowship be known as people who have been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves, what should we do with these men? We, they asked each other, like, we can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from speaking their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? 
We cannot stop telling everybody about everything we have seen and heard. I can't keep it quiet. What he has done for us, the fact that we know that he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and you want us to be quiet about that? Hey, we live in a culture that's told the church to shut up about Jesus. You know that, right? They've told you at your work, you can't talk about Jesus. Shut up about that, right? Yeah, you can talk about God. You can talk about Muhammad. You can talk about Islam. You can talk about all this other stuff, but don't you dare talk about Jesus. What do you think's happening in church? What do you think the focus is from the enemy? I tell people all the time, you want to know what the true faith is? Everybody in culture tells you what it is. They want to shut up Jesus. Don't care about nothing else. Promote anything else but him. All right. The council then threatened them further. But they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. There's a good way to start a riot. I'm not making fun. I'm saying they were nervous because of the fact that people were knowing and believing that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And they knew if they spoke out against it and punished these guys, the people weren't going to stand for it. Remember a little while ago, I thought about we've been just cowering in the wayside. The church, I'm not, I'm not condemning us. I'm saying like, well, maybe I am, but I'm saying I'm challenging us is a better word. Like the church has just kind of been rescinding for so many years now. Just kind of going back into the background. What we're doing is we're fighting against one another and what our beliefs are instead of focusing on Jesus. And if we would focus on Jesus, the power of God would fall in the church. All right. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. So the apostles make a very bold statement. They say, you know, we're going to talk about what God tells us to talk about, not you. We're going to preach Jesus, the good news of the kingdom. He is the Savior of the world. But listen, church, they didn't stand there and demand their rights. They lived it. They taught it. They preached it in the streets. They lived it amongst the homes and the communities in which they lived. They did not go and get a lawyer and come back to the council and say, look, we're going to prove that we're in the right and you're in the wrong. They went home and lived it. What would the apostles and the church's plan of action be as a result of this? Thankfully, we're given insight in Acts chapter 4. Church, we should probably take notice of this since this exact same proclamation has been made across our country. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't bring him to work. Don't bring him to school. Don't bring him anywhere. If you want Jesus, keep him to yourself in your little church. Listen. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Here's their prayer. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why are the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. Here, Arid Antipas, Pontius Pilate, and the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united 
Guess, guess what? The enemy was united in one purpose. Against Jesus. Your holy servant whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O oh Lord, hear their threats. And give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The first place these guys went was back to the body of Christ. When they were released, the first place they went was to meet with the church. The first thing the church did once they heard the report was pray. So the reaction to the threat was not a counter-reaction to what they're doing. No, they went to God who could actually do something about it. And they took it to God in prayer. The focus of their prayer, we got it right there. These attacks are against you, God, and Jesus the Savior. See how they didn't personalize it? It wasn't like, oh, poor me, I'm being singled out. Like, I, I'm being attacked. Man, the enemy's got my number, he's got my name. Would you stop with that nonsense? Listen, this is what the Word of God says. They're coming against you, O oh God, and the Savior Jesus. You just happen to be their target because of Him, not because of you. And He's telling us, look, here's the deal. These are attacks against you, God. Therefore, hear their threats against us and give us our rights. Give us great boldness to preach your word. Do you see what they asked for? See, in their flesh, you can't tell me they weren't a little bit nervous or un uncomfortable, but they stepped over their flesh in the boldness of the spirit that possessed them now and spoke with boldness. And if they were standing here before God in this prayer time, they're like, God, give us boldness. We want to speak the truth. Why? Because we're citizens of heaven. We want to preach the truth of Jesus Christ. God, do miracles and wonders so that Jesus is glorified. Did you hear their prayer? God, do miracles so everybody comes to our church. <laughs> See, now, when we look at the prayer, we, this is helping us right now more than ever before as a church. Their prayer was God and Christ-centered. The action they wanted God to do in them was God and Christ-centered. And the supernatural stuff they wanted God to do was God and Christ-centered. You see how there's an absence of self in here? You see that, church? Seriously, we got to think about this. As we look at what was going on, they were not asking God to bring vengeance upon those who opposed Him. Give us power to speak and be bold. God, do miracles so that people know you. So what happened? God gave an answer to that prayer. It says in verse 31, listen to it. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. <laughs> you want to know how God answers prayer? Pray prayers that are all about Him. You want to see God move? Start praying for God to move through you in the lives of other people. 
You want to see miracles happen, pray for miracles to happen that glorify Jesus and not just makes your life more comfortable. It's all about Him. See, these are the kinds of prayers God answers. God, Christ-centered prayers. The purpose of others of being saved for the kingdom of God, for His purpose, not mine. They didn't pray for protection. They prayed for boldness. (laughs) Father, please help us. God, forgive me and help me. (laughs) Can I just remind you that these people are already filled with the Holy Spirit? Like, the church has screwed up the teaching on the Holy Spirit. Something fierce. We have. I want you to know, I confess that to you. I didn't understand it. I'm still learning what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit and what God's doing. Now, don't think you know what's wrong with me and want to tell me later what I need to know about the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit teach me and let Him teach you. Okay? I'm just saying, like, looking at Scripture and what it says to us. Now, remember, they were praying in Acts chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit fell on them. They were filled by the Holy Spirit. And what did they do as a result? They went out and preached Jesus in the streets with boldness. Right? Just, I just had a thought. Maybe... Being filled with the Spirit is actually about boldly proclaiming Jesus. Since we have it in two different places about the filling of the Holy Spirit, that it was about proclaiming Jesus with boldness to a lost world. You think? I mean, it's biblical. (laughs) Okay, we'll just let God do what He wants with that. We'll see where we're going now, okay? So... These are some thoughts to consider, just maybes. These are maybes. These are like random thoughts of Dave as I'm processing what God's saying to me in the message. These are not, well, maybe they are action steps, but they're not the last ones you're going to hear today. Maybe, just maybe, the church is shrinking in the United States of America because the purpose of the church is no longer Jesus Christ and lost people. Maybe. See, the church in the United States is shrinking. We're not even converting people at the abortion-crushed birth rate. I hope that sinks in and you understand what I'm saying. As the population of the United States grows, in spite of the millions of babies that are being killed every year, the church's conversion rate with lost people is still not even keeping up with that population growth. That means that we are falling into a minority category more and more every single day. So maybe this is happening because the church has lost vision of our purpose. Why God saved us. What He's asked us to do. Just maybe. Maybe we have shifted the purpose of the church onto people's personal needs. People's personal desires. My family's needs what my interests are, what my likes are, what my dislikes are. Maybe the church has lost the focus of it being all about Jesus. See, remember a little while ago I talked about how there's this transition of people going to different churches. I know that some of you came from somewhere else. I'm not condemning you. I'm asking all of us here in this room, those listening online, I'm asking the church of Christ as a whole, be where God's called you to be But don't look for a church. Oh, I can't stand these words that feed you. 
If you need someone to feed you, that does tell me something about where you are in your spiritual maturity. That means you're a little baby and you need someone to feed you. You should be being fed every day. That's why we ask you, are you spending time in God's word? Are you praying? Do you know what the Holy Spirit's saying? Are you obeying God with your time, your talents, and your resources? Because if you're doing those things, that means you're growing up. You don't need to come here on Sunday and say, hey, kind of put the food out for me so I can feed myself, so I can survive till next Sunday. The church needs to grow up. Maybe, maybe, if you're a baby, I'm fine with feeding you. By the way, but how long do you stay a spiritual baby? The church isn't a nursery. Maybe, just maybe, we don't see as many miracles today because we seek miracles for making my life better, my, my life more comfortable, the lives of those I love more comfortable and better. And maybe we're not seeking miracles because we want other people to know Jesus because of them. Just maybe. Look, church, this is one of the things that I have struggled with throughout my Christian life. I read in the Word of God how God did miracles through the apostles. Do you remember that prayer we just read? God, let miracles happen so that people will believe in Jesus. I have to confess to you that most of the time when I pray and anoint people that are sick, I don't do it for the purpose of other people knowing Jesus because of it. I don't even know if I've ever done that. It was, not, it was not done intentionally. It was done in ignorance. I look in the Word of God and I'm like, oh, that could very well be a reason why we're not seeing it happen today. Because today, we want miracles to put on a show and to make people feel good and live better lives. I want you to know you're better off dying with an illness and knowing Jesus than to get healed and go on and live for yourself. Any healing God does is temporary. You're still going to die. The only eternal healing is your soul. Salvation in Christ. So see, if we would start focusing more there and less on the physical, we'd probably be better off as a church. Maybe. Just a thought. Okay. So, so here's a simple test that we can all do. I, I really want you to do this. And I'm doing it myself. I assess some things. What, what is it that we believe God's purpose really is? What is it that we're actually praying for and, and believing God for? Just think about your prayers this week. What are you praying about? What is the main focus of your prayer? I, I do want you to think about that. Okay, there's a reason we need to think about that. Because you see, no matter what we may say with our mouths, about what we believe and our purpose and what God's doing and all that. It's lived out in what we're actually asking God to do. And uh, I'm not going to... Well, yeah. I just want to be careful what I say. So let's assess our prayers and just see what we're asking. What have you been asking God for? What is it that you're seeking Him about? If you'll notice in this prayer, in the, the work of the Apostle Paul in the Christian church in the New Testament, the prayer was focused on Jesus being seen as the Savior, God being glorified through the whole purpose of things. And it's not just in this prayer thing that I just read to you, but as you watch the church grow and make an impact in community, it's always done this way. Therefore, when I begin to look in my own prayer life and I'm saying, 
I, I mean, I'm, I think we need to ask God for stuff, so don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I pray every day for protection for my family. I do. I think we should. All right? But if all I'm praying for is protection, blessing, peace, comfort, help, I've kind of misplaced what I'm asking God for and what I really believe this is all about. Because you see, ultimately, man, all I want is for my kids, their spouse, and my grandkids to go to heaven. That's all I want. I want you to hear this all the way through now. So God, if it takes some kind of suffering, affliction, disaster, are you listening? That's more important to me than their temporary comfort. That doesn't mean I'm going to like it. doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But I mean, what's it all about? Because if one of them doesn't make it, it doesn't matter how much stuff they have, how easy their life was, how comfort they lived, how comfortable they lived. None of that matters. And so when I look in the Word of God and I see what He challenges me with, and I'm saying, God, help me to reassess how I pray, what I want to see happen for your glory and kingdom. It's pretty obvious to us what Jesus' message was to his followers. Come on, church, we know these. Most of us could quote these verses. Matthew 28, it's called the Great Commission. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. By the way, this is after he rose from the grave. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus gives this mission to the church. He says, you have a purpose. Your purpose is to see other people come to know who I am. Teach them what I've taught you. Throw in it. Let them be baptized in that faith and let's see all this come together because I'm coming again. All right? Now, Acts 1, you already know these scriptures as well. Jesus is about to ascend. This is his last words. I would think that we in the church would pay attention to his last message before he ascended into heaven, pretty much about ev- above everything else, just if you're just thinking it humanly. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Where's the focus? Free Israel? And restore our kingdom. Hey God, do something right now. We want our lives to be set up. You can do it. Because you're God. So is this a time we're all going to have everything perfectly in order? And have all this stuff reestablished? Verse 7. He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know. But you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Wait a minute, that's the third time I heard something about power in the Holy Spirit. Third time. Just saying. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Church, do you see this? There's a theme in God's word. There's a mission for us. There's a purpose in our life. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It seems very clear to me that as Jesus spells this out for us, the purpose and mission is to share the good news of the kingdom, to be living my life as a disciple of Christ follower, being a follower of Christ, and teaching other people what it means to be a follower of Christ. 
about what he taught, not what I think, by the way. That's called discipleship. He spelled it out for us, what he said. We were given a glimpse into the early mission days of the church during Jesus' earthly mission prior to his crucifixion. I don't want to get lost here because there's a lot of stuff I want to say about this, but I want us to hear this. It's really cool. Jesus calls together um, 72 people. He commissions them. And he sends them out in two. And what he does is he tells them to go into the villages that he's about to come to and share the good news. This is what he tells them in Luke 10, verse 9. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Okay, so this is Jesus' own words. Go out there, tell them God's here and God's doing something and and something amazing is coming your way. Now, as we move down through that and we look into verse 16, the 72 go out and they do their thing and they come back to Jesus. Then he said to his disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me, rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. You see that connection? So he's saying they're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus and God. It's not about you and me. It's about them always. Okay, now let's keep going. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. I'm totally good with you guys applauding. This is not a correction for your applause. But I want you to see that the disciples were still misfocused. This is what God's word says. They were like all excited about the events of the moment. The fact that they had this power and they could rule the spirit world. And they were excited about that. This is what Jesus said. Yes, he told them. Like, yeah, that's a no-brainer. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Church, you see that? There's a kingdom focus. It's not about the peripheral stuff that's happening. So we got churches that are like, hey, let's bring snakes into church because Jesus gave us authority. Seriously, that's happening. You knew all that, right? Don't go there. I'm just letting you know that happens in some churches. We're like, hey, that's what he said to do. No, he didn't. He didn't say, hey, go find some snakes and play with them. He said, I'm giving you authority and power. Live in that authority and power. It's about the kingdom of heaven. Stay focused, guys. Don't lose it in the peripherals. Stay focused. You should have that authority. You do have that power not about that it's about that keep focused man we've lost it they got so excited about the powers and the effects of god they lost that focus they missed the purpose and i honestly believe we've lost it in the church as a whole we've lost god's purpose we're so fascinated with side issues 
We've missed the main purpose. It's Jesus Christ, the good news, that he's the savior of the world, that whatever you have to go through here is temporary. We're all going to heaven if you know Jesus, and therefore let's focus more there than what's happening here. Let's be bold in our faith. Let's be strong in what God's asked us to do. Let's not be timid and weak in who we are and who we represent. All right, I am on my action steps now. Amen. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? So I believe the church needs to repent then. I'm serious. For making our purpose God's purpose instead of God's purpose, our purpose. We need to repent, church, seriously. We need to repent. Because we have not been focused on the kingdom of heaven and Jesus Christ. Seriously, even Jesus is kind of like part of what we do, but he's not everything for what we do. We need to repent. The church needs to repent. It's not about me. It's not about you either. Church, we need to pray for boldness. Boldness to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to pray that if God would move to do miracles, that the reason he would do them and the reason that we would be allowed to see them is that Jesus might be glorified through them. We also need to be okay with the fact that God would be glorified in the kingdom advanced through suffering and persecution. I didn't think that would get a big amen. (laughs) See, it's all about Him. Let's pray for boldness. So, there's, we have these little logos, you know, you know how we are as people. Um, We have a logo for our church, we have a logo for Full Throttle Ministries. Um, right back there on the wall above our sound booth, it's, we have another, you'll recognize that recycle symbol. That's on all of our stuff too. And it says radiate, reach, and restore. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the reason why we created that logo was to remind us of what God's asking us as a church to do. We're called by God to radiate the love of Christ to this lost world. To reach them, both lost and saved for the purpose of restoring them into fully mature followers of Christ. So, church, here's another thing we probably need to repent of. We have set a, our standard on people. Let me, let me do it this way. It'll be easier. I was just a boy preaching in my very first church. And God challenged me with something that I challenged his people with and I want to challenge you with today. I asked everybody to write a one-paragraph definition of what a Christian is. What is a Christian? Just write it down. What do you, like, what is a Christian? Identify it. And then I said, if, if everybody would pass those in and I would collect them, would I be able to find you when I read your definition? See, we have these standards we've established for people. We, we see what people ought to be and how they ought to live. But if we looked in the mirror and we let the Holy Spirit speak to us, we'd probably be the one under conviction and praying and asking forgiveness. So, whatever God's saying to you this morning, 
just want you to know we always open the altar. If you need salvation, you should come for salvation. If you need to repent, church, you should come to repent. You don't have to come to an altar to repent, but you should repent. Would you stand with me? You know, when I uh, begin the service, I tell you we're not a perfect church or perfect people. It's not like an excuse to live wrong. It's trying to help us understand that people at a different place in their spiritual walk with God, different maturity levels. So you have people in this church that are doing stuff you could never do and feel like you're right with God, right? So let's let the Holy Spirit mature us and grow in our faith. But let's make sure that we are living as citizens of heaven, all about Jesus ourselves. So let's focus with us first, okay? You need to repent? You should come forward. You really should. If you don't want to come forward, maybe you could just kneel where you are. Maybe just sit down. Just as a, as a symbol to everyone around you that, yeah, man, I, I got to get some things right. But I'm not, I don't ever look at you guys. I'm not, I do look at you, but I'm saying I'm not looking for your response to what I say. I don't care. You need to respond to the Holy Spirit and what he's saying to you right now. So, Father, as we close out the service, we surrender to you. Dave, repent of his misfocus. And now, God, I've been questioning you about miracles and wondering about them. And I understand I've never even asked for you to do one for Jesus' sake. <laughs> sorry, Lord. Amen. I'm sorry, church. Forgive me for being dumb like that. Lord, we don't, we're not here about us. We're here about you. And Lord, we're just asking that you would take us to a new level in our walk with you as we surrender to everything that you are, that we might live as citizens of heaven. God, we praise you today for all you are doing in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed, church. You can go out these doors when you leave. The altar's still open. God bless you and thanks for being here today. Thank you, Jesus.